the dawn of civilization. Primitive, dangerous, exciting. The handwriting is on the wall. If the human race is ever going to amount to anything, it needs the most civilized caveman I have ever seen. Ah, look who's come out of his cave. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in. This is James from Cave Dweller Music. I have Josh here today from Snow Wolf Records. Uh, he's here with my co-host, Brendan and I. Thank you so much, Josh, for coming on the show. We really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. And I said Snow Wolf Records, uh, that's the, the label that you operate, but you're also in a number of bands, some of which are on the label and some of which are off, some of which are public and some of which are kind of private. So uh, I think I'll leave it to you to, to let people know what you're in and, and what you're doing. That's cool. Sure. You know, a lot of past bands, obviously, some are on the label, some are not. Um, currently active, uh, play guitar in Bahargam. It's like a black metal band. Um, I do Chest Rockwell. It was a band, and uh, it's kind of been solo for the last three albums. It's sort of uh, like progressive uh, metal, post-rock kind of hybrid. Um, I play drums in Dos Cobros. It's a two-piece. It's kind of punk, kind of not, kind of... Uh, you know, just garage rocky kind of stuff. Um, I got my list here. I um, <laughs> I have a sort of a post. <laughs> yeah, it's it's how stupid it is. <laughs> I've got a I've got a little post punk thing that I I've done a couple albums for. I don't know if I'm going to continue it. It's called Last Sadness. Um, I'm kind of maybe transferring some of those ideas to something new. Um, I have an EDM thing called Mega Darling that I do with my wife. Um, oh. I do Starer. It's uh, it's a solo like um sort of like symphonic atmospheric black metal and um i also play bass in primeval well i've been with those guys for about a year and then i've got a bunch of stupid stuff out there that my name's not publicly attached to that's <laughs> i'll just say you know maybe it's affiliated with the label a lot of it is not i i've done my best to get you know any sort of anonymous thing off of the label um if i can Cool. I mean, I, it's it's awesome that you're in so many varied things. It gives you like a really wide berth to kind of explore your musical ideas and a lot of different genre type settings. Yeah, that's been like I think the key to um, to keeping me so busy um, and, and honestly even interested is just um, I've done a few things like Chess Rockwell. I've been doing since like 2003, 2004, um, and then I've had a lot of other bands along the way that have come and gone, but. Um, I'll kind of just sort of pick up new genres and um, it gets to where you're like, like listening to music, more like studying it. You know, how do I create something as authentically, you know, new wave as I can, mm -hmm. or then you dive into something like black metal and you're like, well, what about symphonic black metal? What about black thrash metal and that kind of stuff. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like challenging uh, myself to just, you know, maybe I pull it off, maybe I don't, but at least I, in my mind, you know, learned something new and uh, attempted to channel it. And so, yeah, I think doing a lot of the genres is really kind of my key, I think, as much as some of them are not nearly as successful. Uh, mm -hmm. It's kind of just more tools in the shed, I guess. Do you ever feel like some of the stuff sort of bleeds across the projects, uh, like influences get drawn oh, from things and different things? 100%. Um, and that's kind of, you know, I've there are a few people uh, that know, mostly all of them and uh, i've kind of talked with a couple of them like i think i maybe want to cut some of this stuff back mm -hmm. um you know there's times when um i was trying some of the first stare album actually i was trying to write stuff for Bahargam. we had just recorded our second album in 2020 and um it i was intending to write a Bahargam album 
um, to follow it. And it got more atmospheric. And then as I put the keyboard on and it was like, well, this is something else entirely. And um, that's happened with a number of other ones where I'll almost, you know, I'll be looking at like my iPad and my workspace and you're sort of like, this is in this band's folder, but I think it kind of sounds more like that one. And it, it's a weird way of writing stuff. And it, it does, it feels like maybe I've done too many things that aren't different enough from each other uh, in my mind, at least. Well, that sort of makes so sense for working with Ryan Clackner uh, because he has a really similar sort of way of doing things to you where he just, every idea he has that's slightly different enough, he pulls it into a different project and stuff gets shifted between yeah. the two. Um, so it makes sense. You guys are both prolific, uh, both running your own labels, have a lot of your own content on. So it's awesome to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I appreciate that. I, I feel really fortunate. Like he and I met um, Primeval Well played with Bahargam. It was right before COVID hit. And so we became friends then and just kind of kept in touch. And then I've done Snowwolf off and on for a pretty long time. It's, I think doing a lot of the bands, the label will kind of get put on the back burner sometimes. Um, but when he started doing Moonlight, he kind of asked me some questions. And, um, you know, and the funny thing is, at first, like as a casual listener, I would, you know, I knew Primeval, but then I would hear Vile Haint. And I was like, eh, maybe that could have been a Primeval album if you just mm-hmm. tweaked it a little bit. But then you dive further into it and you're like, totally, totally separate thing. Yeah. Right. You know, and- it's a subtle, subtle difference. So I was just going back to something you said previously about when you listen to music, you kind of deconstruct it and pull things from it that you want to try and attempt or, or influence your own music. Do you ever find uh, sometimes that it's hard for you sometimes just to listen to music and for the sake of just listening to music and you try not to analyze it, but you just happen to do it anyway? Because that's something that I kind of come to struggle with as someone that reviews music constantly. Um, mm. Just trying to sit back and be like, no, don't analyze it. Just relax and listen to it and enjoy it. Yes. Um, actually, I play in a, a, a 90s cover band as well. Um, I kind of forget the list, that, you know, because we just don't do originals. It's it's uh, extremely active, though. And nice. um, so we've got a ton of songs that we do. And that, that goes into that same thing of like, I feel like I'm always listening to something to learn it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are times when I'm sitting at home, like with my wife, and we're just kind of hanging out. And sure, you just throw a record on or whatever. Um, but, you know, like, with some of these songs, especially the nineties band, like um, you know, the song, but how, like, can you sing along without the song playing? And so I'll never forget this. It was one of those times I told the band, like, you have no idea what I had to do, like what I had to put myself through to learn this. It was um, semi charm life, third eye blind. <laughs> and you know, you know the song, but I didn't know the song. Uh-huh. And so I took my dog for a walk and listened to just the first verse for the entire walk, just repeatedly. And the next day to the second, and you're like, I listen to that goddamn verse, you know, for 45 straight minutes until it was just in my head. And then did the same thing until I learned the whole song, you know, just day after day. And that's the part that's like really excruciating. Um, and, you know, once you start doing that stuff more, you'll like create little mental tricks for yourself. Like mm-hmm. um, this verse starts in reverse alphabetical order and the next verse is in, you know, s- stupid stuff like that, but it'll help keep your mind right. But it's still like constantly deconstructing things. Right. Um, and it's interesting because you don't realize you're doing it. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll talk to my wife about something and I'm like, dude, did you hear that? Like they, the bass player played one note for like two minutes. And then when he finally changed notes, it was like goosebumps. And you didn't even realize what it was at first. Like what, what gave me that feeling? 
And she's just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it annoys my wife too, because sometimes she's I'm like, you can put something on if you want. She's like, I don't want to put something on because you're going to critique it. I was like, no, I want yes. to say, no, you're going to say something. I'm like, I'll try not to, but it just, you can't help it. It just happens. Absolutely. I mean, my wife and I have such different musical tastes. Me too. You know, it's almost <laughs> yeah, like a battle, like who? Who's more tolerant of the other one's stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. You try and be accommodating, though. Like, I'm, I'm selective of what I put on when we're both in, like, shared company. Like, if we're in the car for a while or something, I'll, I won't put on, like, death metal or black metal. I'll do something that's sort of, like, between that side of my taste and, and her taste. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, if I put on, like, a Radiohead album or, like, a, a Chili Peppers album, I'm actually a huge fan of the first two Oasis records. And uh, okay. that's, you know killed my cult status i guess but if i put like something like that on she's just like she gets so excited like oh we both love this like yes we do yeah it's nice when you find a band that you share that as well it's like uh, for us it's uh do you know who orville peck is yeah yeah we both love orville peck so that's like one of the th- the, the artists we both like okay we'll put that on because it makes both of us happy yeah and then you know there's there's some times when like uh i turned her on to mulchat doma Nice. And um, Love that band. she turned me. Yeah, they're awesome. I've seen we've seen them twice in the last um, about a year span. Um, but then, nice. like, she turned me onto the weekend. I was never okay. really into like that genre. But then I heard Starboy, and I'm like, this is fucking incredible. He is and good, right? Been, I, I I feel the same yeah. way. He gets a lot of like crap from the underground community, but his music, like, okay, I, I you may feel the same way. You may feel differently. I can't do a whole album of his from start to finish. It's it's too samey, but certain songs i really enjoy if i put on like specific songs of his mm. yeah, yeah i like, think with with him oh, i'm sorry go ahead brandon oh no i was gonna say just like like there's like a couple ones that are just like catchy and good but then like there's some of it's just like so kind of like i don't know poppy and repetitive you know i don't think for me it's the poppy it's more of like the slower like kind of more i don't know traditional r&b type sound i guess mm. but i think some of his stuff is just like the albums are too long yeah, I've yeah. really got a thing against long albums, um, and not like a thing against it. I just I can't get through them in one sitting, and I feel like an album deserves one sitting most of the time. But uh, I don't know, man. Like Don FM, that album's incredible, and we've gotten through that one, you know, just numerous times hanging out. But there's also, you know, there's kind of a story in that one, I guess, with like the mm-hmm. the radio segues and things. But yeah, I'm gonna have I to do feel you on that though. I'll give it another chance. Like, uh, it may just be like, I, I've only done the album listening once through his discography. So maybe I'll, if I do it again, it'll kind of grow on me. But uh, I definitely appreciate his his artistic talent, his songwriting ability. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. And that's, it's just so out of my wheelhouse. But every now and then, like, you find yourself like, I should hate this, but I don't, <laughs> I love it. I don't know why. Yep, yep. Have you, uh, have you ever seen the movie Uncut Gems with Adam, by Adam Sandler? No, I'm actually not a big movie watcher. You can probably okay. ask me that a hundred times and I'm probably going to see like three of them. No, no worries. <laughs> I was just going to mention it because he plays himself in the movie and gets punched by Adam Sandler as The weekend is uh, is really funny, actually. Wait, is this recent? <laughs> or uh, Yeah, it was like two years ago, I think, three years ago. Uh, it was like one of, kind of Adam Sandler's like breakout role as like a serious director and actor. He did this really intense like uh, high-stakes drama about gambling addiction called uh uncut gems i think i remember the name i i was thinking i saw a headline the other day with him with a new movie i guess where he claims that he forgot to sing because of he got too like into method acting for this role or something like really bizarre okay he's an interesting dude uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> um cool well uh 
obviously you have the label, you have the projects. What came first? Uh, were your label first or did you have bands first or? Uh, bands first, for sure. The label kind of spun out of, um, I've never been a big fan of people like exclusively, like I was in a band once um, and it was on such and such records and it only existed to release that one single band. And I get mm -hmm. it. Like it kind of puts a little bit of like legitimacy on it on the surface, but I was right. never a fan of that. So I, I just, you know, everything I was in and in, released independently. And then it was my brother and I that came up with the idea. Um, like I've been playing music since the nineties. I'm probably a bit older than you think. Um, so I was doing like ska bands, punk bands, got into like metal, stuff like that. And everything was independent. And then in 2011, uh, my brother's old band reunited and I played drums for them and we did like a live set and he wanted to release it. But since it was like, you know, the band, it was like a 15 year sort of like reunion. It's like, what interest is anybody going to have in 2011 buying that? So we were like, oh, let's just create a little label and we'll see where it goes. And then we released that one thing and then did nothing for three years okay. <laughs> and then put a chest Rockwell seven inch out in like 2014 um and then did a couple more kind of put it on the back burner again and it's been really active since maybe 2017 or 18 i think but again okay. it started with my own bands and then kind of expanded awesome uh, was it always called uh the same name like when you started originally with your your brother's uh reunion album was it called snow wolf records already or was it called something different uh yeah that's what we started with he had one uh in the late 90s he's a few years older than me uh, he called Town Horror Records, and I think they released like one or two things. And then okay. when I was doing my ska band, like in high school and uh, early college, it was called Pimp Slap. And uh, <laughs> not going to name a band that these days, but um, <laughs> back then it was, you know, we were, we thought it was funny. But uh, we had one called Winter Records, which was just this inside joke, had a little trophy for a logo. Um, and then just totally got away from it after that. And um, when Snow Wolf came up, it's actually... I've got a dog that I rescued from uh, Egypt in 2010. Wow. And um, the first time she saw snow here, I don't know why. I just, you know, hey, well, the snow wolf over there. And my brother thought it was funny. And we just, I don't know, that was the name. And that's that's where it came from. <laughs> that's awesome. Were you uh, in Egypt at the time when you rescued her? Or did you have her shipped over from Egypt through an agency? Uh, I was in Egypt when I found her. Um, oh. I actually wrote a book about this. Um, I can link it to you if you're interested. Yeah, um, for sure. Appreciate it. It's called Ballady. Um, that's like their word for like, like local, I guess. But that's kind mm -hmm. of also what they use to say like, I mean, they have like Ballady food. Um, but what they call the street dogs or cats are like Ballady dogs. And so in that sense, it's more like, uh, not really like a synonym for mutt, but sort of in that way. Um, but anyway, so the book's called Ballady, uh, The Journey of an Egyptian Street Dog. Um, wow. But yeah, I found I was over there in 2010 and I found her. Um, she was being like beaten by kids, like on the sidewalk. Oh. Yeah. And I'm a big animal guy. I've been a vegetarian yeah. for 20 some odd years. And um, so I got, you know, I got involved, got him away from her and you know, long story, but I had to leave her there at the time. And then she got to a shelter and then they sent her to me and um, uh, like as cargo, like okay. two, it's about two months later. And, um, yeah, I've had her, July will be 13 years I've had her. How was the uh, process of having her brought in through customs and all that from Egypt? Oh, that, it was one of the most terrifying experiences in my life. Um, yeah. You know, I've been over there a, a bunch of times since then, and I brought um, a bunch of dogs back. Um, 
acting basically it's like a flight parent where they go to a rescue or something like that here and they've uh-huh. kind of cracked down on that the last few years but i was doing it quite a bit um but with her that was my first experience and since i had to leave her there we couldn't get a flight parent so i live in kentucky they had to send her to atlanta because of like the size of the crate and that's about a four and a half hour drive maybe right so you know you drive down there you're tired and everything and then dude customs um i guess it was yeah it was customs uh dude put the fear of god in me like it was one of those questions where like it's i covered it extensively in the book because like you it's burned in my memory like the whole conversation of yeah you know why are you bringing this dog over um do you know the people that sent the dog and it's like technically i know them but no i don't know them and you know then they see the name on it and you know they're asking me about smuggling and Uh, breeding and all this stuff and i mean i get it but it was like i was fucking terrified you know i'm thinking like the dog is here what happens if I fuck this thing up and they don't give it to me. Like what does she, do they just put her down? Does she go to a shelter? What do they do? And yeah. um, so it was kind of a nightmare, but um, yeah, it was, I don't know, probably hour or two kind of blurs together in, in, in that regard. But yeah. 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 But you know, the funny thing is like, if you bring them over and claim them as yours, like, so the last time I would have done it, uh, I think I went to Chicago and you basically claim them as yours and they probably know they're not. Um, but like, I'll leave the airport. I'll have all their paperwork done and everything like that. They'll ask mm-hmm. me a few questions, but not much. I'll leave the airport. I'll have a, a guy meet me outside. Like he'll pick them up. And then I go back in the airport to security and stuff again and, you know, come home. But like, it's relatively simple process if you are claiming them. But mm-hmm. when she came over alone, man, whole other story. Yeah. I, uh, we shipped our dog from Australia. He was a rescue as well. Um, got him in a shelter down on the Gold Coast in in Queensland. And, uh, it was definitely less stressful because they don't ask as many questions coming from Australia, obviously, than they would from Egypt. Um, I imagine with US customs, especially because right. we don't have like, uh, rabies or anything like that. So they're, they're a lot less picky about shots and all that kind of thing. So, but that was still scary because we weren't actually there to receive him on the other side. We shipped him to my in laws. And then we were coming two months later, immigrating. Um, so it was kind of like we had no idea what was going to happen on the other side, but it all went smoothly, apparently. But it is definitely stressful. Yeah, you know, and that I would be really that that may even be more stressful because you've already bonded with that dog. Like that's your dog. Right. You know, with right. this one, it was just like, eh, I hope she gets here. You know, I, I bonded <laughs> with her, but you know, for three days or whatever. Yeah. Well, it's awesome that you do that. And uh, we'll definitely yeah. put the link, we'll put the link to the book in the uh, podcast description if anyone wants to check that one out. I appreciate that, man. You know, um, every bit, you know, it's not like it's a big money raiser, but everything that that, uh, that comes to me from it goes back to the shelter. Yeah, and just, just that the, the awareness as well. I mean, it's just something that people don't even realize happens. Like, it's not something you think about, you know what I mean? People bringing dogs from other countries to the US to give them a better life. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. It really was a have to be there kind of thing, I think. Mm-hmm. I like rescuing dogs. Yeah. I have two rescues and I absolutely love them, man. They're the best. You know, one of them is a little bit of an oddball ding dong, but he, he means well. But it's always, um, you, you never know what you're going to get. That's the only thing with them. It's like how much yeah. uh, tra- trauma they've been through and how much you have to, uh, you, you can always fix them, but it's how hard is it going to be once they arrive to get them to that point? You have no idea. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like when we got, um, my second one, the ding dong, he, we, he was a year and a half 
um, at that time. And he spent like a little over a year in a shelter. So he has like, he had zero skills, you know what I mean? He was very, he was not housebroken and he was almost like, you know, two years old at that point, you know, like, or coming on that, you know, so it was just, it was a little bit of like, uh, he thought this stuff was kind of already done, but it wasn't, you know, with him, but, um, it was trained and he's trained now. He's cool. But my first dog is like this, the most cuddliest, like German shepherd you've ever seen. It's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. But they all came from places that didn't, I don't know, didn't want them some reason you know you know and it's it is funny like you said like you don't know what you're going to get because uh with mine you know i found her being hit by kids and mm -hmm. um she's like whatever brief part of her life that was maybe six months old so she's you know if i've had her almost 13 years she's maybe 13 and a half i don't know but you know six months out of that 13 and a half years that's what she lived but right god damn that like it just totally shaped her like she yeah. hates yeah. kids Yep, hates yep. kids like she only trusts like three people in the whole world she will like just you know try to intimidate everybody that comes over but she's like the best dog ever uh to me <laughs> yeah. yeah right yep. right yeah yeah that's the thing as long as you show them love they'll always come around to you um as part of their pack but it's that those ingrained behaviors that they learn from trauma uh really shapes the behavior around other people like you get those dogs that my in-laws rescued a dog from hurricane katrina um brought her back and she hated men um fine with women completely but terrified with any new new male into the house so it makes me mm. think some trauma there in that sense yeah it's like ptsd mm -hmm. yeah sure. yeah but we got a super lucky that little guy um he's like he's a mix of everything we did the dna test and half of it came back unrecognizable this is too many breeds <laughs> but <laughs> um but he's awesome. He's got a bunch of health problems, which is the only, literally the only downside to him. Apart from that, he'd be like the perfect dog. But yeah, we got, we got super lucky. We had a couple of rescues when I was growing up and some of them were absolutely crazy. One of them, uh, first time we ever left them alone in our house, we came back and we couldn't find them anywhere. And we went over to the garage area and we saw a hole in the wall and the dog had eaten through the wall <laughs> into the garage and was like hanging out in there. Like it's crazy. Wow damn yeah that was it was like a fox terrier too so i was like not a big dog either <laughs> it's like i'm i'm getting out of here bro right um so anyway back to your label uh we, we get a super off topic with this but we, <laughs> yeah we're, we're always happy to talk about charity and animals so um yeah so looking at some of the stuff that you put out on the label um you have a couple of projects on there that are really fascinating and have had massive uh, i guess critical acclaim people have really responded well uh, Thumos, uh, that's a really fantastic project that you've you've put out on your label. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that one? Um, you know, well, Thumos is um, it's an anonymous deal, so it's always like as somebody doing the label, you have to like respect that. And um, so, you know, obviously, I know who's in it, and I can't say anything about it. But it's mm -hmm. uh, I'm shocked that it's not gotten somewhere else. Um, like, I know it's been pitched to bigger labels, you know, because that's kind of the thing. Like, so say with um, one of the projects I play with, Starer, um, mm -hmm. the new album is going to be released on FIA Productions. And um, she did an interview where she was like, our goal at this level is to, like, grow the artist and help them, like, get the fuck off our label, you know, like, enjoy it right. while you got it, but get them out there. 
And so Thumos is one of those where like it's been pitched, you know, I've helped pitch it because the big question I always get is like, are you going to do vinyl? And I'm like, no, I cannot afford vinyl. Right. Um, so, you know, you start talking to other labels like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this. Do you want to do that? And mm -hmm. um, to my knowledge, that's probably the most successful thing on the label. And mm -hmm. it's just it's sitting here and I can't really figure it out. But, I can't either, you know, because that everything I've seen from every review site that's covered it has given nothing but praise. It's it's just people love it. Yeah, um, you know, and it's kind of one of those things. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a very serious thing. I think for the first few years, kind of like an off and on thing. Mm -hmm. And then when the name changed happened, I think that was in twenty twenty or twenty one. Um, that's when I got a hold of it, okay. and. Um, well, you know, it's one of those things like once you start putting stuff out there, um, you start getting emails from like all over the place. And you can tell they're, they're generic emails of, of bands like, um, you know, we got our debut album out or we got a whatever we're looking for a label. And, you know, it's it's the same thing. And you're thinking, am I going to get this one? Um, there was one I, I can't remember who it was. It was a British band. Um, and it was like a themed like, I don't know, like zelda themed black metal or something like that it was really good cool. and before i could even respond to it they had already gotten picked up by somebody else and you know i in my level i can't offer you know anything really other than just you know the standard um you know we'll do it you get the 20 percent. you get all the digital and all that you know that's kind of the standard at this level yeah um you do 20 they get 20 percent of the of the physical product or you pay them out that amount um that's, that's the way other really labels Really quick question, and it's crazy that you, you mentioned this. That Zelda theme project, was that Zexus? Is that the name of it? It was a symphonic black metal album that was done with Nintendo NDS sounds instead of uh, keyboards? No, no, it ah, wasn't. Okay. Um, okay. It, it, may, it may not have been Zelda, but it was, you know, it was just something along those lines. Like maybe it was uh, some other game or you know something like that theme that was just kind of mean like i couldn't think of what exactly it was okay um, sorry i was about to say it, small, it, small world though because i did pr <laughs> for that band's second album um that that is called zexus and they do symphonic black metal with nds sounds instead of uh keyboard and, and synths and uh they did a second okay. album that's completely uh like uh kaiju themed the first one was zelda and then they did uh all kaiju and just <laughs> yeah I want to like just as we're talking. I want to open up my email and see if I can. Fuck, I don't know what this was like a couple of years ago, but um, no, they were. Um, I feel like it had a very typical name to it, but okay. Um, but yeah, either way, it was you know it, it's just it's that kind of example where like every now and then, you know, one will get pitched to you. Like, um, so I released the first like. Well, I guess it wasn't the first. I released a couple of the early like glyph things, and then. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty DIY, you know, like I'll pay somebody, you know, a company to do CDs, but like with tapes, you know, I'll buy the tapes, I'll dub them myself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I do the printing and stuff like that. And some people like that. Some people don't. That's my method. You know, if you look up the, the cost of um, having professionally duplicated tapes, you're, you're getting into 250 bucks at minimum. Yeah. And that's just kind of a lot to throw out there for like 50 copies. Does it sell? And fuck, I'm stuck with 48 copies, you know? <laughs> so, um, some people, you know, they just move on. So, like, say, take Glyph, for example. That was one. I did my DIY magic for yeah, a couple of them. And then now that's on, um, uh, what is that, on, like, Fia and Weirnome, I think. Um, and I'll still, like, get some copies here, you know, as, like, a distro type thing. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, to me, that's kind of the whole point. You know, move that on. Like, I did the first stereo EP myself, and then when Folkfanger was interested, I was like, yes, please take it. You know, I'll always have copies listed on Snow Wolf because it's me. Um, but, yeah, so Thumos is one. I'm just, like, I'm shocked that I've still got it. I'm not, there's no, you know, written thing or whatever. It's like, somebody please make this band bigger than I'm going to do. Right. But it is what it is. Well, that's, I mean, that's a good yeah. attitude to have because I've seen some labels that are considered smaller labels, I guess, complain about having bands poached. I'm like, that's completely the wrong way to view it, <laughs> in my opinion. Like, if your band is being picked up by a bigger label, it means you've done something right, that you've helped that band absolutely get reached by, you know, you yeah, have to man. get the music out to a point that is popular You're enough that a bigger label pick them up. Yeah, I mean, that's, I agree 100%. And that's kind of the thing with, um, so Folkfanger was one of the first outside labels I started working with, with some of this current stuff uh, with Starer. And he was just, I would like ask him like, hey, are you cool if I, you know, give this song to this uh, compilation or I'm going to self-release this little EP just as like fill or whatever. And he's just like, dude, I don't own anything of yours. I'm just here to help you out. You do whatever you want. Love that. And I'm like, you know what? That's that's the model. And uh, um, yeah, and I think it's this most honest way to do it at this level because, I mean, nobody's making shit. You know, no. you're just kind of doing it for the love of it. Right, exactly. I actually yep. started a... Uh non-profit label myself uh like two weeks ago uh just to band camps it's gonna be digital only but the only point of it is literally to give exposure to bands from developing countries um and the whole thing is i'm just gonna basically anyone that wants to be featured on there gonna put all the uh licensing like the regional licensing the whole world to them so basically they'll be sitting on my label but all money that anyone spends goes straight to the band um and it's because that's awesome thank you appreciate that and it's because like like you said, no one's making shit from this. Like, I, I don't care about that, but there's so many bands out there that the exposure would be so beneficial to to have a place where people can go to find that type of music. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's going to focus on world music, folk, psychedelia, and all that type of stuff. But then from parts of the world where they don't have access to our English-speaking market, but they should, essentially, is, is the concept behind it. Man, that's that's a, that's an incredible thing you're doing there. Like, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, it just started two weeks ago. We got one one band so far. Um, really cool bands uh, called Odd Play from Bulgaria that plays Bulgarian psychedelic folk stuff. Um, trying to work with a band from India right now. Uh, so hopefully that will be coming through soon. Uh, got some other stuff, but I can't announce it yet. But yeah, should be some cool stuff on there in the next few months. That's awesome. So are you you are you doing just digital for them? Just or are you digital. Like look into okay. Maybe down the line I could look at doing uh, physical because. I mean, I, it would have to be at a point where I have a little bit more extra extra money to to pay for that side of things because it's non-profit. But uh, for now, it's just, I mean, I could look at doing distro potentially as well down the line, something like that. But uh, right now, while I have this little free time, it's just going to be digital because it's easy for me to just do that and promote it. Now, I'm using my PR network that I've established with my PR company to kind of just push this stuff out where it's relevant to the sites I have on contact as well where I can. Okay. I mean, my, my only uh, thing I was going to throw in, if, if you do physical, physical with um dude it's, it's so hard with the international bands because i really love working with some of those but then most of their fan base is wherever they're from and then our right. shipping costs are insane right. so, shipping sucks yeah yeah that, that is an issue i mean that's that's kind of the thing digital is so easy a solo overhead and stuff it's just a way i can with minimal cost help these bands even if even if it's like get like an extra like 20 listeners on their album you know that's something that 
that I help with for no with no cost to me really. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. But, well, dude, uh, that's cool as shit. Thank you. <laughs> it was actually an impulse decision. Uh, <laughs> well, well, you uh, sent me um uh like a follow request. Is it should I say the name or have you made it public? Yeah, I've said, I've said yeah. the name. Yeah, it's uh, Heritage Harmony Records is the the name. Uh, I'll just I'll send you a link after this so you can check it out. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's all public I and think- everything. But it's just it's really small right now because it's just started. But yeah, no, it's all good to go. All public. Awesome. Um, Brendan, I know you had some questions you wanted to ask, so I'll let you quickly pop those out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> how did you uh, get together with your uh, covers album for um, that bar? Uh, I can't remember. Ah. Tidballs. Yeah, yeah. How'd that come about? You know, everybody laughs at the bar name that doesn't know it. That's the guy's last name, like the owner. Um, so, man, we've just got such a strong scene here. Um I'm in Bowling Green, Kentucky, to reiterate it. We're about an hour north of Nashville, about an hour and a half south of Louisville. Um, so we're kind of like right in this, you know, middle area. But we have such a strong scene here, um, historically, you know, all the way up to, to now. So that bar has kind of like been the focal point for the last, you know, 20 some odd years. Um, any sort of bigger band that's come out of this area, you know, really got their chops there. Um so when COVID hit and all the bars were, you know, being shut down and everything, they were doing like a live stream event um, every Friday and Saturday. And so they would have just a couple guys come in, run this big uh, video audio deal. And they were basically asking local musicians who weren't being able to play shows to submit content. So, uh, you know, it was like, if you have a music video, submit it. And then, Hey, next week we're going to do like Beatles covers. And then next week cover each other and, next week do whatever you want you know stuff like that so i kind of looked at it like the type of music i've always done has been a little bit outside of like what our scene is you know with the prog and the the metal and stuff like that like so people here know me and i do get shows here but like i'm not part of like the all eyes on me you know kind of uh circle i guess so i kind of view that opportunity as just like well i'm gonna announce myself so every single week when you guys put up what you want, I'm going to squeeze one out no matter how you know rushed it has to be or whatever. And so I ended up getting like 10 or 12 songs out of it. And, um, you know, some of them, like when I did the Prodigy song, it was the first one I did. So it was just, you know, whatever you want. And then um, the Nirvana song was when I decided to go in that like post-punk direction. That's when I realized like, he asked me if I would do an acoustic version and I'm like, man, my voice just isn't the right voice for that. It sucks for that style. So I tried that and it kind of worked out and then just kind of went from there. And so some of them like the, the wicked game cover was just a choice, but then like the stone song, uh, Pink Floyd Beatles, uh, the John Lennon song, the, um, uh, shit. Either way, a lot of them were like, we're doing this band. And so I was just like, I'm going to flex hard. You know, I'm going to interpret every one of these songs to sound like exactly the same, like post-punk kind of song. And then I think I almost probably got annoying to people on the scene because, you know, these, these like video deals were lasting like a couple hours and it was just like, Oh, what's this fucking guy got this week? You know? And cause I'll maybe one other person submitted something every week, but it was a lot of just kind of people coming and going, but, 
um i you know obviously with the label and all the different bands i do and stuff i kind of just have like an obsessive personality and so i was like fuck it i'm gonna do this shit and when it was all said and done it's like i've got an, an album here and um you know did i get rights to release any of those songs no but if somebody comes knocking then you know that means it got it got somewhere further than i ever got it and then i'll <laughs> take them down or whatever you got to do but uh yeah it was a lot of fun like that was one of the most fun things i've ever done hell yeah uh it's definitely so i was listening uh, i didn't have listened to all of it yet but i got through like first like 10 songs and i was just like this is this is great like i i like i like what's going on you know i appreciate it i think it's like um it might be the opening track i can't remember what order i put them in uh the artist uh, is Billy. Yeah. Big Dick Beaver and uh, Turtle Man. Oh, so oh you talking about Weasel? Okay, I was off way here. You're talking about the uh, the double album with like all the songs on it. Yeah, it's uh, um, to benefit to uh, the the bar. There, it, it's all about yeah for, uh, footballs, But yeah, okay, man. What I was going on, I actually got an entire album out of that shit myself. Um, that I also donated the money from. Um, but no, that one, um, that was one that a couple other guys um, kind of had the idea. And then we all kind of worked together to put that together. And so every, that album, everybody is covering another local musician on it or another local band. So yeah, like those Cobros covered a, um, a Lost River Cavemen band. Uh, they were one of the you know, better bands we've had come out of here, but they, they're broken up now. Um, and then I personally did, um, there's a guy named Billy Swayze who was... Um, a uh, very good friend that died a few years ago. So I did one of his songs and partially because the drummer that he had in his band was one of my absolute best friends I've ever had who also died. Um, uh, so I was like, I, I got to do a fucking Billy song, you know, to, to get both of them. And then uh, Mega Darling, that EDM project that my wife and I do, we covered one. But that was just a really cool project, you know, and, and um, that is an even better example of how tight our scene is here because you had you know it's like a double cd there's like fuck i don't know 30 songs or something yeah all these different bands covering all these other bands some existing some you know long since gone and um yeah it was a really cool project really proud of everybody here for you know that took part in that yeah it's definitely fun you know i was like i was like listening to pop goes the weasel the first track on there i'm just like (laughs) no shit like this is hilarious yeah i guess that one maybe it wasn't um Am I thinking of something else now? Like so, it's volume one, save the balls. God, Jesus Christ, dude! Like, I talked about two wrong things. Um, <laughs> I forgot we even did that one. So that one was not as big of an affair. That one was one when the shutdown first happened. It was like week two or something like that. We were just trying to do a fundraiser because nobody knew how long it was going to last. Um, but we just knew that the bar was closed. So that was basically yeah. just a, a call to every local band that wanted to participate. And so, yeah, that one was like 50 tracks or something. There's a shitload on there. Um, there's no physical version of it. Um, but it was basically like everybody submit a cover song or something like that. And uh, <laughs> we're like an idiot. Talk about two wrong things before. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, that was uh, that was also very proud of everybody for that one. That was a Snow Wolf release. Um, the other one, uh, some other guys did, and I just kind of helped, you know, bring it together. 
Gotcha. Yeah. All, yeah. Three, all three were interesting, so it's not a problem. Happy to hear about all of them. Yeah, I mean, it was a really busy spring and summer of 2020. Yeah, I mean, everybody was crazy busy. Picked up like all kinds of projects, this and that. You know, that's how a lot of yeah. Stuff I mean, was created. Everybody's worried like their venues are going to close, and I mean, a lot of them did. And yeah, um, so it was. You really found out like how talented everybody was during that time, I think, because it was, yeah. you know, you, you couldn't play with your band uh, unless you were, you know, breaking quarantine or whatever. So everybody's like, who's got home recording stuff? Uh, what all can you play and everything? And so, you know, differences in quality, but, you know, some of them like that one in particular, you mentioned, none of those were new. I think they were all old. Like the Chess Rockwell song was like a Cure cover. And it was from like, man, it may have been a phone recording. It's not even like professionally done. It just sounded pretty good. And, you know, we didn't have a professional recording of it, but um, I'm gonna have to listen to that again. I haven't thought about that in I guess a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's yeah, it's it's a good stretch. It's got a lot of neat stuff on. It. Yeah, some Misfits. A couple of people did Misfits covers, but there's some Zeppelin in there. Some Lover Boy. Yeah, REM. It, you know, well, it's, Pixies. it's funny because it got later into it and like some other bands that like normally would never get to participate in something like that, like Fornicus. Uh, who did they cover on there? You know, and that's like the heaviest shit we have around here. And those guys were like, we're going to be on a tidballs cop of life. We can't even play that bar. And, <laughs> so, <laughs> and you know, the, the two guys in Fornicus were. Oh, freezing uh, moon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. So they, um, they're the guys that helped me start Bahargam. Um, the drummer has since quit Bahargam and does some other things, does Fornicus. But the bass player that we have in Bahargam is still the, the same guy from Fornicus as well. So, you know, really close tie to that band. Um, they're actually doing their final show. Like, supposedly they're done um, after this coming Saturday. Oh, man. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a big deal for us around here. When is this going to um, air? Uh, we're, normally about, we're normally about two to three weeks out with the schedule because we always have a backlog. We record a bunch per week and then we put them out two per week. Um, okay. So well, probably about, let me just look at the calendar here. Um, probably around the 24th, I would say, just because I know we have a bunch of stuff lined up to go out in the next three weeks. Okay. Well, to the listeners, uh, Fornicus is gone, guys. Sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sad. <laughs> hate when bands break up. They're actually good. And so many talentless bands stay together and put out albums forever yep yeah <laughs> so weird brendan you got anything else you want to ask oh well um so i guess i mean and different playing in different bands and whatnot um playing live shows um what's your what's your what's been your favorite city to play in in any of the, your uh your projects Ooh, that's tough i mean you know you always love playing home um we just did a show last week in louisville uh we opened primeval well opened up for panopticon and that was like uh it had to be near capacity which was like around 700 um that was a that was a big show that was a lot of fun um we used to do some like local festivals here called starry nights um i don't know if you guys know the band cage the elephant they're from bowling green like i went i went to high school with those guys Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah. So they used to do these like Starry Nights festivals. And um, as it went on, they got bigger and bigger. Um, I can't remember who all they had play, but um, I played one of those with my old band, Technology Versus Horse. 
And that was uh, probably one of the bigger crowds I've played to. But, um, you know, like, I guess I'm an opportunist in some ways, you know, like when Primeval asked me to play, the whole reason was they had a tour coming up with this like uh, festival in Baltimore. And so they were like, we're going to book a tour specifically around that, you know, can you do it? And I'm like, well, fuck. Yeah. I definitely will join your band and do that, you know? Um, And so that was a cool thing because for me, um, that's the first actual full tour I've done in a really long time. Um, You know, I used to tour a lot when I was younger and then, you know, you just kind of get a serious job and stuff like that. So yeah, some of those venues, it's, that's so long ago. It's hard to say. Crowds are so incredibly different now than they were like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, we, you could go out of town and, and pack a place that you'd never been. And it wasn't necessarily you packing it, but it was just there were people. Um, and now, like, you can play your hometown or 30 minutes away, and there's like, you know, you want you don't want to post the pictures where you can see too much of the crowd from those shows. So it's just, you know, it's weird times. I mean, some of that, I think, does have to do with COVID, but not everybody's still comfortable going out and being in a packed room. But, um, yeah, I really trailed off that question, but that's a good question. Um, I don't know, man. My biggest goal I've always had is to play overseas, and I've never done that. Um, I've got a good following with a lot of my bands overseas, but uh, it's, you know, the logistics of, like, it's not just me. I've got to convince these other four people or however many to – Right. Probably lose their money, um, however much that would be, and, you know, take time off work and away from their families and things. And that's part of when we started those Cobros as a two-piece, we were like, easy, you know? I could just borrow somebody's house kit, and uh, he could just, you know, bring whatever he needed, two people, done. Um, And then right when we were really building momentum, COVID just, you know, like everybody just fucking derailed everything. And um, we've just kind of not really recovered that band to that level again but um one day that's that's no matter how old i get that's still the goal just yeah to do it once oh yeah that'd be a ton of fun um do you have a uh a favorite song to play live uh i don't know man you know because that's the funny thing with the solo stuff is like you i couldn't even tell you how to play any single stare song you know, like, because it's solo, I write it, I record it, and then it's not like you're practicing at home, like you don't have a band, so you kind of just move on. Um, right. There was a lot of songs I would love to play that I don't, you know, have a way to play anymore. Um, I Those Cobros as a band, for me, it's not by any means one of the more popular things I do. Um, and I'm not like a fantastic drummer, but I do love playing drums, and JD, the other band member, is like my best friend, and um, there's just times when you get the sound right, you know, where you can make whatever the venue is, they, they know how to do it. So they make a two piece sound big. Um, we've got a couple that we haven't released yet. And a couple maybe on like our second album that are just a little heavier, kind of maybe in the stoner realm almost or something like that. And where I can just like beat the absolute fuck out of the drums. And because um, the other bands I used to play drums in were a little more technical. So you're, you're kind of playing with more precision. You know, this one, I'm just breathing and hitting hard. And um, I always have a good time playing in that band. And um, we cover the Killing Joke song, uh, The Weight. I really love playing that one. So for argument's sake, we'll say that. I love playing Killing Jokes, The Weight on drums. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> who, um, who got you um, inspired to play music? Um, I guess I have an older brother. 
he's about three years older than me, so he got to everything first. And he started playing bass in a punk band in the 90s. And then so I started playing bass following him. I'm sure he looked at me, you know, like the tag along copycat brother or whatever. He never said that. He's always been very supportive. But, you know, when you're 14 and your brother's 17 and you're doing the same shit they've already been doing, they're probably looking at you like, what the fuck is this guy doing? But <laughs> I was more into like the Chili Peppers and Primus and things like that. So I was like, I want to be Mr. Bass guy, you know, and just blow everybody's minds when I play. And um, so I dove really, really hard on bass for years. Uh, the first, like, I don't know, maybe 10 years of bands when I was doing like a ska band and then Commander was like an old thrash band I did. I played bass in that one. And then um, when I got into Chess Rockwell, I started playing guitar and then Technology versus Horse. That was 2005. I, I did drums for that one. And I kind of learned drums with that band. But as far as like actually physically playing, probably my brother you know i saw him doing shows and it was like i want to do that and um you know and once you get into it you're just like what am i investing all this time for you know to do it and then it was just kind of like we talked about earlier with learning more stuff you know when uh learning more genres you know at these these days uh but in those days you're just like just trying to learn as much as possible and just you know just wood shedding i mean when you're like 15 years old what do you got to do but just go home and just play the shit out of your instrument and um you know, hope one day it pays off for you. And I guess just for me, you know, at my age, the passion never really left. So you're still doing it, not making anything. It's just for fun. You know, you love doing it. But um, yeah, and I discovered through this that I have synesthesia and that maybe was part of what attracted me to it. I didn't know that even existed. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I don't know, man. I mean, I guess long story short, it probably my brother, but just there was that thing for music that maybe I didn't realize I had that came out i don't know right. i'm very long-winded i apologize it's not an artist is synesthesia the one where uh you hear music but see shapes um there's different versions of it for me it's not like physically seeing things it's like okay. things are like they're like a color um wow. yeah and it's it's almost like the only way i know how to describe it it's kind of like a I would think of it like a pattern recognition almost like mm -hmm. if somebody says like banana you just think yellow you don't think yellow you, it just is okay. you know so like um certain instruments certain notes certain songs entirely and it's one of those things we talked about if you start deconstructing it um uh, you can start realizing like oh man the bass is blue and the guitar is red you know and stuff like that and um you start writing things and you're just like i don't think i've ever written anything that's orange you know like how do i do that um and i don't know if you can do it i mean maybe somebody that um has studied what whatever causes it um I'm, I'm curious if it's the same type of neurological family as like dyslexia or something like that but i discovered it because i you know it felt normal i didn't know that that was a thing so you know it's like when somebody talks about the sound of a tape they're just like it's a warm sound and yeah. you're like try to put that into words like what does that actually mean so i i'd written a song and i was calling it the green song and my cousin was just like well, what's that all about and when i told him he was like kind of like confused and i was like what you know what do you mean that song's not green it's fucking green and he's like dude i got no idea what you're talking about and this would have been you know like early 2000s and so he actually is the one that um told me about what it was and then when i looked into it it was like holy shit you know like they all have colors i just never thought that was unique Interesting. Um, it's, one of, it's one of those things you don't pick up on until later in life like i didn't realize i, I have dyscalculia which is basically numerical dyslexia um, and i didn't realize until i was like 24 
I just thought I was really bad at maths. <laughs> and like <laughs> one day I was looking at, I, I, I read something, an article about it. I was like, holy shit, that, that explains like so much about my life. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Like it's something you thought was normal and you just didn't really even think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just adapted. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I mean, um, it, I was, yeah. It makes me wonder if like, that draws you to things. Like for me specifically, I was like, maybe that's subconsciously what drew me into this. I don't know. Yeah. I was going to ask. Um, so you like you highlight that have like the sleep apps and stuff like that, that just like produce like the white noise and stuff like that. So like, do you like, they have like brown noise and whatnot. Like, do you um, perceive them like that? Like does white noise sound like white noise? Um, no, not really. Um, I think for me, it's, it's like very much like a, a musical, like a tonal kind of thing. Um, because synesthesia, it's actually like, there's a, it's a really broad, you know, yes. some people, you know, like they associate certain days with certain colors and they don't think about it, but it's just like, you know, Wednesday's yellow or whatever. Um, so yeah, for me, I think it's just, it's more of like a tonal thing. Uh, and when I was reading about it, it's really interesting because it, you know, it, it's, it's consistent to you. Like if I hear one song and it's blue, it's going to be blue every fucking time I hear it. Um, yeah. but somebody else with the exact same version it may not be blue um there was like some i think it was on like wikipedia or something like that where it was like a couple of composers were just like the sound of a violin is gray no it's it's white or whatever and um but i mean as somebody who sleeps with a box fan on every night for that white noise i've never once actually thought of it as white noise you know just the term gotcha brenda did you have any uh any other ones you want to ask them uh, i'm good to go my man we're going a little over time, but I do have a couple more questions for you. Um, one is that one of our admins absolutely loves Chess Rockwell and would uh, never forgive me awesome. if I didn't ask some questions. Um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about the latest album, like some of the inspirations and the recording process on that one? Sure. Um, I'll be very brief. I'm sorry. I know I'm long-winded. Um, no, you're fine. I started, I started Chess Rockwell in college when uh, my first, my ska band split up. Uh, quickly formed it into a band. And uh, the sound, if you were to listen to the first album versus the last album, it's two different bands. I was a fucking horrible singer. You know, I played acoustic, whatever, on the first album. Um, it gradually turned into a Pink Floyd-ish kind of sound. And then it got more progressive. Uh, I drew a lot of influence from uh, Muse. I don't really listen to them anymore, but I used to be a huge fan of Muse. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of my guitar playing came from that. Um, and then it just, you know, it, it got more into like prog metal and stuff. So then the band kind of stopped functioning in like maybe 2019 or something. So the last three albums I did solo and, and I had a specific story I wanted to tell. And uh, I did that on the 2020 album. And then I did a sequel to it in 21. So the one last year, I really was not actually intending to make that album. It was kind of purely accident. Um, I went to visit my brother who's out in Denver now and we went up to the mountains and um there was just something about being up in the mountains, um, which I've been there numerous times, but that particular trip, it was just, you know, kind of really soaking it in. And, and I went, I, when I came home, I was like, I want to write something just big and slow and just doom. And only some of that came through because that's not really my natural style, but I think maybe the last track, it probably shows itself the most or maybe track three. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that was really the, all the inspiration was, it was like, it, it wasn't even chest rock when I started writing it, it was wow. tuned lower than I normally do. Um, and the first few things I wrote, you know, chest had gotten into real, 
not like real proggy, but you know, like a lot of mixed meter times and stuff like that. And with, with this one, when I first started with it, um, any element of that came later. So it was like just something big and heavy and doomy. And I'll call it, I don't know what I'll call it. And then as it developed, it was like, if I'm going to use this vocal, uh, you know, approach, um, it's chest Rockwell. And then it was like, even though it's different than the others, like why, why can't it be, you know, it's, it's my solo thing, I guess at this point. So, right. Uh, it's not so out of the, you know, the wheelhouse of everything else that that, that, that band has done. So honestly, man, it's, it's weird because that's been by far the most successful thing that that name has ever put out. And, um, it was honestly purely accidental. Like it was just writing stuff and then like, me, I guess that's where it goes. And when I put it out, I had no expectations. I talked to my brother specifically and I was like, you know, the ones that I felt really personal about, I've already released. This one was just kind of a thing I did. And it has a story and everything. And of course you always pour yourself into it, but like the other albums I developed for like months or years, this one from start to finish was like, dude, it was like two months. It was really quick. Wow. And it just came together really na uh, naturally. And, um, you know, I wish there was more of a deeper thing to it, but there's nice. not doesn't always have to be it just it just kind of it, it just sort of fell out and mm -hmm. um i don't really know what to do with that project now because i would have you know you asked what, what what do i love to play live i would fucking love to play that album live yeah um but the uh the bassist and the drummer the bassist is um he's the vocalist for bahargum mm -hmm. um we do a couple other things together uh, and the guitarist, he does a solo thing called El Astronauta. It used to be a band, but he's it's solo now. And they're both in my 90s cover band. So, you know, I'm still very close to these guys. I saw them yesterday. But the drummer, um, I've been playing with that same drummer, the Chess Rockwell drummer, since the 90s. Uh, we grew up together. Um, he was the drummer in my Scott band, and we just sort of stayed together. It was like 20-some-odd years. And when he got married and kind of just, he's a nurse now, kind of moved on with his life, he just... He hasn't shown any interest in coming back to drums and i'm like he's the drummer of that band you know i i, I don't want to kick him out he's never officially quit it just sort of became what it is so the idea that i would have to be like hey dude even though you had nothing to do with writing or recording of this album like i gotta sort of boot you off the name and get somebody else in like i don't know if it's worth it to me i mean yeah. he wouldn't care but there's always just that little hope where you're like yeah i gotta get the band back together guys you <laughs> yeah. know yeah. But um, I don't know. The other two guys definitely would want to do it. But again, like I said, I'd have to relearn it. You know, you, you the solo stuff, you write it and you record it and then you kind of just move on. Yeah. And um, yeah. it's funny. I'll listen to it. And every now and then, if you don't listen to it for a while, since you didn't rehearse it incessantly before going into a studio, um, it's just not burned into you at all. There's no muscle memory. And I'll listen to some of those like weird little runs or whatever and i'm like fuck like what what was that it's almost like hearing something you didn't actually write interesting um yeah so as much as like when i put that album out i didn't have strong feelings on it um i came around to it when everybody else did so <laughs> i do love it now but at the time it was like it was weird putting something out that I, I i wouldn't say i didn't believe in it i just wouldn't say that i did right interesting hmm. <laughs> um it's yeah it's funny that you said uh in order because that album that they did is on your label actually um which one is it it's called like uh dark matters i think yes yeah um, i think that was last year. yeah last year the year before was that, that's one of the Man best beats. performing videos on our youtube channel ever 
Yeah, Seth was telling me about that. So that was so Astronauta was um it was a three piece and it started out they were kind of like the bassist wanted to do more punk and Seth wanted to do more of that like kind of sludgy stoner sound uh-huh. and they did two EPs and then they did a full length which I thought was easily their best work um and it was more of the sludgy stuff I think it's called uh, high strangeness maybe okay and um uh I thought it was great and then it just imploded. And so kind of like the Chess Rockwell thing, like Seth asked the other guys, like, can I keep using the name and do it solo? Like it's got a little bit of a brand. So then, yeah, he did that one, um, Dark Matters, and he's working on more. Like he sent us uh, some stuff today, just sort of, you know, hey, what do you guys think about this? And I think not his current stuff, but like the next one, I maybe will drum on it because he's programming drums and I, I don't love the program drum sound for that style. I have nothing against program drums, but yeah, like that needs actual a little more looseness and just that sort of, you know, real sound, but um, sloppiness needs to be there. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah. Give it to me, guy. I can't play to a click very well. Like, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I I have two more questions for you. One's super simple. One's uh, a little more complicated. That's That's what you think. (laughs) <laughs> so the, the complicated one is going to put you on the spot a little bit but uh ask everyone that comes on the show this question if you were trapped on a desert island you had a solar powered discman and only three cds to listen to on repeat until you got rescued what would they be that's actually not hard for me um wow. it would it would yeah i got i'm prepared for that that would be uh the chili peppers blood sugar sex magic okay. um yeah. radiohead okay computer and Jane's Addiction, Ritual, Daylo Habitual. Nice. Yeah, and you were pressed. My like top, so- yeah, they're my top three favorite albums, like, of all time. And, you know, maybe I'm a little bit stuck on it, like, oh, nothing's going to pass them. And maybe something did pass them, and I refuse to acknowledge it. But those are, without question, my favorite three albums. And uh, I actually formed a band years ago specifically to cover Blood Sugar start to finish. And we did it, um, I don't know, maybe three or four times. I played bass on it. Nice. It was, uh, that, was, that was fun. It's kind of a weird feeling when like an album becomes one of your new favorites, like all time favorites, because then you have to push something out. And you're like, yeah, what what do I what do I get rid of? Like, because what do I don't listen to anymore? Like that, I, it's no longer my favorite. Because sometimes you don't think about it. You're like, man, this used to be like my favorite album, but I actually haven't listened to this in like five years or something. It's funny you say that because um, you know, with my wife and I've been we've been married not quite two years, but we've been together uh, about five. So you know, there's still things you don't know about each other. You know, mm-hmm. like more in-depth musical taste being a big one so like she's not super familiar with muse and we were coming back on a drive a couple months ago and i played her absolution which at, at one point in time was probably a top five album for me mm-hmm. and we got done with it and i was like i think i'm done with that album you know like it's not bad i just i don't know if i wore it out or if i've just i'm not that person anymore but it was a very strange feeling like yeah in a weird, bubble i held that album yeah it's it's really bizarre and then you still have that nostalgia, you... like the, st- the attachment's still there, but you just don't, it doesn't engage with you the same way as it did. It doesn't stimulate the same way. Yeah. I mean, when, when it was over, it was like, I have no fucking idea when I'll ever listen to this ever again. And it, it, was, it wasn't a bad experience. It was just kind of like, I've had that experience more times than I can remember. And that, that's the last one I can <laughs> probably, yeah. you know, but that, you know, it's, it's, it's different for other ones and it, it maybe it'll come back. Um, you know, like, it's like I said, I'm a big Oasis fan. When I was in, in uh maybe middle school i think when uh morning glory came out and i loved it and then i quickly got out of it you know because i was getting into punk and metal 
And then yeah. at some point later on, I rediscovered it. And I and I would say that is easily a top 10 album for me. But at one point, I had to rebuy it from where I got rid of it, you know? Mm-hmm. I, it's funny you mentioned Muse, though, because Muse was one for me as well. Because I, well, what was it, back like 2000? I want to say like 7 through 9 or something like that. 2007 through 9. I was super into Muse as well. Um, everything basically up to that album that had Supermassive Black Hole, uh, I, I, I was a big fan of. Same, man. I saw them in 2000 on their first, I don't know if it was their first US tour, but it was the first album. Um, they opened for the Foo Fighters and the Chili Peppers were the headliners. And mm-hmm. uh, I was a senior in high school. And this first I ever heard of them and it like blew my fucking mind. I was yeah. just like, this is like heavy Radiohead or something. Yeah. And um, and then, yeah, Origin of Symmetry came out and like even better. And then Absolution came mm-hmm. out and you're like, Masterpiece. And then Black Holes came out and it was like, mm, I see where this is going. Yeah, I love some songs on there, but then there was like, I think I bought the album after it, and then I was like done. I never. I really like that one. song, uh, "Not Sidonia." I actually thought it was a really Holy fun, fun shit. track. Yeah, good track. That song, um, it inspired a song on um, the Chess Rockwell Total Victory album. It's the last track called okay. "Moral Universe." They don't sound anything alike until you get to the end of our song. Um, it's kind of got that big triumphant like thing that, that happens at the end of uh, Knights of Sidonia. Yeah, uh, I love that part. It you just know, opens up. Yeah, it's like and as a musician, like you like I am trying to rip this off, like openly trying, and I can't do it. But here's my take, you know. Yep. Uh, that's what we did. But goddamn, yeah, that's a killer song. Yeah. That's all the album is like really hit and miss. Like you're right, there's some really good stuff on there overall. Uh, it's like 50-50 split of like some of the best stuff they've done and then some some of the worst stuff they've done to that point. Yeah, um, I guess it was the poppy stuff, you know, and I don't mind poppy stuff, but I just, yeah, you saw where it was going. And mm-hmm. it's like you guys are wanting to put out that big hit and you're going to make those compromises to do it. And when, you know, more power to you, do what you want. But Yeah, but I feel like their popularity tanked after that. Like they tried to do that and then like no one talked about them for a long time until they... I guess recently they're back on the radio again with some new stuff that I don't like at all. I tried to listen to it. I was like, oh, dude. But uh, they're back again, I guess. Yeah, I saw some video where he's like, uh, Matt Bellamy's like driving with his kid. And it was like a quote unquote metal song. And you listen to yeah, it. It's yeah. like, that is metal for people that don't know what metal is. Exactly what I thought. I was like, this dude doesn't actually know what metal is about. But he's just what he thinks it should sound like. Yeah. And, you know, like, um, so Ed Sheeran. I don't mind Ed Sheeran. I don't listen to Ed Sheeran. My wife loves him, but I, I I'm fine with the guy. I respect him. Uh, but when it's the same thing when he was talking about when how he grew up listening to death metal and then proceeded to not name a single death metal band. Yeah, and yeah, I mean I at that. least we're gonna get. I mean I'm I'm all for this Cradle of Filth collaboration. I'm. It's <laughs> yeah. probably gonna be a train wreck, but like I'm I'm a big Cradle of Filth fan. I'm I'm like this is great. Um, but yeah, it was just like what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like I I hate that whole stupid gatekeeping thing of like pop musicians can't like metal and stuff. I think that's really fucking stupid. But if you're going to say stuff like that, at least get your facts vaguely correct. <laughs> oh sure, man, I I totally agree. Like wear the, wear whatever you want, you know. Like I'll wear a Taylor Swift shirt, and I don't give a shit. I don't have to name five songs. Yeah. I could name five songs uh, because of my wife. I could name every song, but me too. Um, my wife's biggest, <laughs> the world's biggest fan of Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> well, our our wives need to have a podcast then. Um, Swifty, Swifties United or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, I have no problem with that, man. It's a fucking shirt. Like, 
the band in some backwards way is going to get something out of that. Who really gives a shit? I would be like, if I was a, like a small no-name band or something and a massive celebrity wore my shirt, I'd be stoked. Like that's like such a massive exposure for you. You know what I mean? Like even if like oh, 10, absolutely. 20 new people look you up and end up buying your music, that's people that didn't know who you were before that. Yeah. You know, I have a funny thing with, with like your, your own band stuff, because I always thought it was like tacky to like, especially on stage, like don't wear your own shirt. And then you get to a point where you're like, fuck man, if I'm not going to wear my shirt, who is going to wear it? And, you know, you travel and it's like, well, I'm going to wear my shirt wherever I'm going because maybe somebody will see it. And with <laughs> yeah. just that mentality, you're like, this person's got a billion followers on whatever. Like, wear my fucking shirt, man. Exactly. Like, you can shit all over the music, but yeah, put my name out there. Right. So, yeah, I was going to say, I wear, wear our, our cave dweller stuff all over the place. You know what me I mean? Too. I, yeah, I me rep too. it everywhere. Free advertising. <laughs> absolutely man we did that primeval show and i was like which one of my band shirts am i gonna wear on stage which one am i gonna wear at the merch table when i'm sweaty you know and that kind of situation like there's eyes on me yeah it's, it's not that it's the whole like get off my lawn mentality you know like we gotta move past that shit the glenn danzig mentality <laughs> old man yeah <laughs> yeah i mean like there's no good music <laughs> these days like man one of my friends is a radio dj like one of my best friends here in town and it's mostly like like pop radio and but he's also a big metalhead um at heart but he knows like every like Nicki minaj song and like doja cat and stuff like that so he i won't know who they are and he's just like dude you don't have to know who they are but as soon as you start using language of like back in my day or there's no good music anymore or whatever like just any of that old man talk he's like that is the absolute fastest way to age yourself yeah and then as soon as you see somebody else do it you're like god damn i do not ever want to sound like that no, you don't. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's like sound like you're it's, whining. It's so untrue. Yeah, it like, really there's, is. There's more good music than ever because of the availability through streaming now. Like you have access to markets from all over the world that no one would ever heard in the past. So like the whole concept of there's no new good music just means you're not looking in the right place. Yeah, you're 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 hung up on something. You you will not allow a new favorite album because yeah. you won't even listen to an album you haven't listened to before. Yeah. Yeah, not to go on like a tangent on this but really quickly i read this thing saying that um it depends on the person it's actually a scientific reason why some people stop uh growing with taste in music um it's stated that like at some certain people's brains stop being elastic in that respect to taking on new uh new sounds and like uh new influences and actually uh, enjoying them and some people it's between 25 and 30 years old some people it never happens to and some people it's in their 30s Wow. I hope it never happens to me. Uh, I and that's, forward, so. It's interesting. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing about that is like, does that apply to like, say, um, if I'm a Mogwai fan when I'm 25 and they put out albums consistently, do I still like them when I'm 35 or is it just like new things entirely? I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. That is an interesting question. Like the whole thing I is think interesting. The older you get and you haven't tried something new, like say like like maybe food for instance you're probably less apt to try it um well it's, it's not it's not just that it's like literally that your brain doesn't want you to try it like if you look okay my, my dad's a perfect example my dad's in his 60s i send my dad bands all the time that i'm discovering and he buys their albums and listens to them and loves it and stuff but i know That's so awesome. many it is and i know so many dudes his age who do the whole nothing good's been made since 86 thing um and <laughs> some of it's like a taste thing but some of them you can tell like they they just can't wrap their head around anything since that period and i think that if that theory is accurate that does explain that mentality to some extent 
Yeah, I mean, there's like entire genres that didn't exist. Like two yep. years ago, 20 years, like you can't say that. Like, exactly. right. yeah, that's really interesting, though, because that is a fucking plague that anybody involved with music has to deal with. It's just yeah. that, you know, and you get into like metal and black metal and you run into like the uh, the guys of, you know, I like the early demos. It's like, dude, you like the shit that sounds like shit. You know, like listen to their fucking third album when they figured out who they were. You know, the early demos thing, like, like fuck off. Sometimes I, I on that point though, sometimes I do like it when they re-record the early demos because some of the early stuff's like super innovative because they don't they don't know who they sound yet. They're playing around; it's really different to their actual albums. But you're right, the quality is what holds a lot of stuff back. But there's this Mexican band, I can't remember what they're called. I reviewed the album, um, but they just released all of their demos on a new re- remastered album, and it's really goddamn good um I'll, I'll find the name and send it to you okay i mean and there's nothing wrong with liking the early demos obviously but it's 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 that whole like you close yourself off like they got too big they're fucking sold out it's that it's <laughs> yeah. a sort of a flip side of that mentality you know like man if i get the chance to sell out fucking see you like i'm <laughs> doing it you know <laughs> do you know the band uh i'm gonna say the name was like Susquen Gunbog, the one with the really crazy logo and the super long name. The Death Metal Band. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, they uh they have this really funny back and forth trolling thing with um Born of Osiris that's been going on for like a couple of months now, and I don't know how it started. I think they were talking about touring together and they started ripping on each other, but they were kept saying that uh, Born of Osiris sold out after their first rehearsal. (laughs) 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 That's fine. I mean, dude, if you can like. (laughs) If you can enjoy what you're doing and make more money doing it in a different way, like, who am I to tell you not to? That's the whole, like, you know, messing with a man's livelihood, you know, old cliche. Like, dude, I wish I could just slightly change what I'm doing and polish it up and just quit my job. Like, and if you're going to tell me you like my early demos, like, yeah, sure. Go listen to my (laughs) early demos. I'll count my money. You know, maybe that sounds (laughs) shitty, but. Right. Um, Can I spend all my time creating it? Yeah, let me do it. Exactly. Um, we're way over time, but it's totally fine because it's been a great conversation. But yeah, um, yeah. Just, just have to quickly wrap it up. Um, I have the last question for you. If people want to audio music, buy like uh, physical digital copies, whatever that is, merchandise, what are the best places to do that? Um, the best place absolutely would be Bandcamp. Um, okay. You know, the million dollar answer. So uh, I've actually... Funny enough, this is, a you know, when you approached me, this was about Snow Wolf and we didn't talk about it a whole lot. But for today, I did this really today before this podcast. Uh, I converted the Snow Wolf Bandcamp to a label page instead of just the artist page where you sort of cheated. Cool. So um is the best place. Not everything of mine is on there. Um, some things I can't tell you. Um, but most of my things are on there. You know, if... if if you were to look me up on like the metal archives, you know, just look up like Starer or something like that. You'll, you'll see all my unlisted bands that I'm a part of, you know, there's like links and stuff like that. It's kind of one of the brilliant things that they do on that site, oh, yeah. with, you Good know, time. listing non-metal bands, but um, Snow Wolf records, um, you can, you know, Instagram, Bandcamp, Facebook, it'll all lead you there. And uh, I mean, honestly, just shoot me a message or an email on, on any of those, or even my personal account, if you, you know, find it. And um, I'll point you in the right direction. Um, you know, I, we talked about it earlier. I, I have a little bit of, uh, you know, it, it's it runs from EDM to to black metal and most places in between. 
um yeah i'm a big physical copies guy so like if it runs out i'll probably repress it awesome well thank you so much for coming on the show and taking the time obviously it's been great talking to you because we just <laughs> blew through it 90 minutes um well, but, uh, I, I, my apologies for being so long-winded man oh uh, no problem you know, nah, nah, we, we prefer it any day any day of the week we'd rather take someone that's long-winded than us like pulling the conversation out of people yeah well i mean thank you guys this has been a ton of fun yeah, definitely. Um, if, you, if you do sequels, I'll come back and burn you up for three hours again. Right? Yeah, yeah, we definitely do. So maybe like sometime <laughs> we, we'll try to space it out, but maybe next year we'll have you back on again as another guest. Sure. Yeah, I've got a shitload of stuff coming out, and um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to planning next year. So yeah. Excellent. And for everyone listening That's at it. home, thanks you for tuning in, and uh, come back next week. We'll have another guest for you.